turn in your Bibles to Psalm 40. Psalm 40. Psalm 40 is entitled to the choir master, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see in fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O God. Let me read that again. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonour who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Aha! But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. Amen. Uh, this evening, as we come to Psalm 40, 
My intention is to lead you through the first 10 verses of this psalm, but we'll see how things go. It might be that the Lord wants us to hear more from this psalm. But before we actually come to the exposition of this psalm, we have to look at the context surrounding this psalm. And that context is the placement of this psalm after Psalms 38 and 39. Just turn back in your own Bibles and just briefly glance through there, if you will. And see in these psalms, as you just glance over them, that these psalms, 38 and 39, are among the, the darkest psalms in the whole of the Psalter. And it's a reminder to us of what John Calvin said about the Psalms in his commentary, in the preface to the commentary on the Psalms. He said, the book of Psalms is an anatomy of all parts of the soul. What he means by that is that the book of Psalms opens up to us all the emotions of the human soul. And they speak to us of of that which is common to all of us. And that there are times in all our lives when it might be that Psalms 38 and 39 are exactly where we are. In a time of despair. In a time of thinking that the Lord is far from us. That he has abandoned us. That he has left us to the mercy not of God but of our enemies. And if you were just to read Psalms 38 and 39, well, maybe you, if you weren't there already, would be in that time of despair after reading these things. That's why it's important for us that the Holy Spirit has given us the words of Psalm 40. Because they show that this man, David, who knew the depths of despair in his life, also knew the mercy of God. And the love of God. And so the first thing to draw your attention to in this psalm is the title. It's entitled to the choir master, a psalm of David. And that reminds us that these things of Psalm 40, and if you look back at Psalm 39, you'll see it's the same title there. These things are for the singing of the people of God. It's for them to come and lift these things up to the Lord. It's to say these things are given to us from the Lord because he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And he knows the things that we experience. And also it's a reminder that as David brings these things, that even though he is a man after the Lord's own heart, even though he is this great and mighty king, He too is a man who knew the depths of sorrow and the struggles of this life. But the opening verse tells us what he did in the midst of these things. And it tells us that he waited patiently for the Lord. Recently at Durham, we've been going through 1 Samuel. And we've seen something of the trials that David went through. I think you preached in it not that many years ago. 
And we saw how David was pursued by Saul. David was blameless before Saul. He had done nothing wrong. In fact, he'd done the opposite. He had stood with his king, but jealousy had come over Saul and he was pursuing David and sought to do away with him altogether. And David went through difficult times, being on the run, going over to the Philistines and all these other things. And he knew these times of difficulty. Psalm 40's opening line tells us that in the midst of these things, David waited patiently for the Lord to act. Psalm 38 and 39 show us that in the midst of that patient waiting, he was crying out to the Lord. But Psalm 40 verse 1 tells us that he was patiently waiting for the Lord to act. And friends, isn't this a word we need to hear? Because I don't know about you, friends, but being patient is not one of the things that perhaps we are known for. We want things to happen quickly. A little bit of discomfort comes our way and we want it to end. Because how can it be that we would actually experience some discomfort, especially in our society, when comfort is seemingly the highest thing? It's the highest goal of our lives, to have everything that we need, to have no discomfort whatsoever. And so when discomforts come when trials come we often find it so difficult and we cry out to the Lord why is this happening to me can't you fix it do something about it right now it's been five minutes relatively speaking but we're not alone in this are we it's not just something for our day look throughout scripture look at Abraham he was given a promise that through him, the nations would be blessed and that he would be given a, a son. But the Lord was taking too long about it. And so he had a, a son with his wife's servant girl. He pushed along the work of God. He didn't wait for the Lord's promises to come. And we see it again and again throughout the Old Testament. How people would push providence along, or at least seek to to do things in their own strength, to not wait quietly and patiently for the Lord to act, but do it themselves. And friends, are we not guilty of that ourselves? And so this opening verse of this psalm teaches us that this is the attitude of heart and mind we should have. To humble ourselves before the Lord and wait for him to act. Now that goes against a lot of our natural inclination, doesn't it? It's not nice going through trials. It's not nice going through discomfort. But sometimes for our good and for the Lord's glory, we may have to experience these things. And the key for getting through them is to wait patiently for the Lord to act. And so will you be patient? Will you humble yourself in these things and accept them from the hand of the Lord but also this, the second half of this line shows us that David wasn't simply sitting back and saying, I'll just be patient and the Lord will act and it will all sort itself out. No, he wasn't doing that. Whilst waiting patiently, what was he doing? He was crying out to the Lord. He was bringing these things daily to the Lord. He was saying, oh Lord, be merciful to me. 
And Psalms 38 and 39 are, are all of that. Look at verse 12 of Psalm 39. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. And so, friends, here is a reminder to us of what we should be in times of trial and distress. As those who cry out to the Lord. Like the Israelites under their slavery in Egypt, what did they do? They cried out to the Lord for mercy. And in that circumstance, what happened? Exactly what happened with David. The Lord heard their cries and the Lord heard his cries. Look at the second half of verse 1. He, that is God, inclined to me and heard my cry. Friends, I don't think... Broad brush statement. There aren't many greater words in Scripture than these. (laughs) All of Scripture is glorious, isn't it? But isn't this a reminder to us of the nature of our God, who he is and what he does? Many others would have a God who is distant, who maybe created the world and then stepped back and carries on doing his godlike things with no reference to the world. The true and living God is not like that. The true and living God is intimately involved in the life of his creation and he is intimately involved with the life of his people. That when they cry out to him, he is not. It's not as if there's a great iron door in front of heaven that our prayers bounce off. It is not that God is so great and powerful and glorious, which of course he is, but not so much that he goes, I want nothing to do with these worms down here. Just the opposite. This God who has created all things by the word of his mouth, who is so powerful that he can do all things. Is the God who stoops down to you. He's the God who comes down to you. Who hears your cry. Who knows your suffering. And who responds to that. Don't miss the importance of that heard my cry. Because that means he has heard and he has done something about it. Our God is the God who stoops down to us. And look at what he has done for David. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. That's how bad things were for David. That He felt he was close to death. His life was about to be taken from him. That There was not much longer for him to, to be in this world. That's how he felt. In that great pit of despair. And yet what the Lord has done is he's heard that cry, he's reached down, he's dragged, pulled David out of that despair. And then not just left him, but grounded him firmly on the rock and made him secure. Friends, this is what our God does. When you and I have known days of despair, And when we've cried out to him, the Lord has heard and he has rescued us and he's heard our prayers. Friends, if you haven't known days of despair as a Christian, praise the Lord. But there may be days coming 
And I want to encourage you that if you have to face those days, cry out to the Lord and he will hear you. And it may take time. You may have to suffer much, but he does hear you. And he does pull you out. And he does make you stand again so that you can praise his name. And brothers and sisters who have experienced and know that for yourself. Amen. Our Lord is good, and he does these things for us. And so what is our response? Friends, I was saying we might preach the whole psalm. I think we may just stick to these first three verses, the way things are going. What is our response to the work of God? What was David's response? He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. He knew the work of God in his own heart. He saw how he'd been rescued from despair, how he'd been made to stand again. And so what does he do? Oh, that was nice. Carry on. As you were. Is that what he does? It's all right. You can can give me some feedback on that. Is that what he does? No, of course not. He praises God. He sings to God. Our friends, isn't singing such a great gift from the Lord? I often make this point. I think my congregation are fed up of it, so I'll say it to you because you haven't heard it for a while. (laughs) You go to Hillsbury, you go to Bramall Lane, and you'll hear great singing there, won't you? The Greasy Chip Butty song. I've sung that in my younger days on the cop at Bramall Lane. Why? Because a bloke has kicked a ball into a net. Something so meaningless. And yet it thrills the soul so that our mouths are open and we sing to the praise and glory of a football team. Friends, how much more must our mouths be open in praise and song to the living God for what he's done for us and continues to do for us? Friends, the gift of song is for us to glorify our God. To lift up our voices with that which is so deep within us. Grateful thanks and joy for what God has done in rescuing us. And friends, this isn't just, is it, about ordinary day-to-day despair and being saved from it. But ultimately, it's speaking about our salvation. That pit of destruction that we were in was the fact that we were dead in our trespasses. And he has pulled us out of that and made us stand in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we heard this morning, without blemish before him. What should we do? Well, sing his praises day and night. Oh, but I I can't sing very well. I'm not really a singer. Friends, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you are tone deaf. Sing out, brother. Sing out, sister. Because look at what the Lord has done for you. And glorify his name. But notice as well why David does this and what the effect of this is. Verse 3, second half. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. The praise of God's people in response to what God has done for them is a means of the Lord calling people to himself. The praise of God is evangelistic. People coming together in places like this, joining their voices as one, 
is a means by which God shows to the world the glories of his name. And it is used by the Lord so that people come to see how great he is and to put their trust in him. That's true, isn't it? That's true. But as we come together and praise the name of the Lord, we are making a public witness. As we come together in this place and in Durham Presbyterian Church and other churches around this nation and the world, we are making a public declaration that says God is God. And he has done glorious things for us. And in so doing, as we gather together and as we show that praise, then the outsider sees and he recognizes that there is a God in heaven. And they will come to know of him and put their trust in him. And putting the trust, our trust in the Lord, verse 4 tells us, makes us blessed. Here we're back in the territory of Psalm 1. And rather than going after the way of the wicked man, we will put our trust in the Lord and we will stand firm in the Lord. We will not go to the proud. We will not go after lies. Instead, we will stand firm in the Lord and we will delight in his wondrous deeds. Notice here how David in verse 5 says, You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. Personally see the personal nature of our God. David claims this God for himself. The God in heaven is my God. Can you say the same, friend? Is the Lord God in heaven your God? but also how he includes the whole people of God here, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. That you have done glorious things in the midst of Israel. Not only in the past, in saving us from Egypt and bringing us into this land, but continually you have shown your goodness to us. And friends, is that not our experience in the life of the church? That year after year, season after season, the Lord shows his faithfulness and he shows his glorious work. Do we not hear of people coming to faith? Do we not hear of churches growing? Oh, so Phil, in our day and in our nation, it looks like the other way. Well, friends, in the Middle East, in China, in Africa, are there not millions coming to Christ? Yes, there are. He is working now. Glorious things are being done at this moment. In fact, somewhere on this planet right now, someone is coming from darkness into light. Praise God for his mercy. And he has multiplied his wondrous deeds toward his church. So who can compare with the living God? And again at the end of verse 5, the response of God to uh, the response of his people to his works is that we proclaim them publicly to the world. Verses eight, sorry, six to eight. So if verses one to five are an introduction to this psalm. 
David giving thanks for being brought out of the pit and being reminded that therefore there is a response to make in praise. Verses 6 and 8 speak of David's own experience. It speaks about sacrifice and offerings you have not delighted, but you've given me an open ear, burnt offering and sin offering you've not required. What do you make of verses like that, friends? Because if you go in your Bibles back to Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, you will see that this is exactly what the Lord requires. This is what he commands of his people. To come to the tabernacle and bring their offerings. Have I preached Leviticus 1 here in the past? I've preached it everywhere else. So I... <laughs> If I haven't, I'll bring that next time. It's the glorious fact that if you come to the tabernacle with a beast and you place your hand upon the head of that beast and make identification with this beast as it's killed, its blood is shed, you're saying, here are my sins placed upon this animal. It is dying in my place. And the smell goes up to heaven as these things are burned on the altar and they become a glorious smell to the Lord and they're accepted for atonement. Is the Lord going back on these things? Well, no, because what was happening as time went on is that the people of God were doing these things, but they were doing them without that identification. They were doing it without the heart. And David here is joining in with what the prophets will later come to say. The Lord is not looking simply for you to go through the motions of the sacrifices. What he wants is a heart that is faithful to what these things are pointing to. And for faith that comes with them. And so David recognizes here that the Lord... It's not concerned about how many bulls are piled up, how many sheep or how many doves are piled up to the skies if the heart is not right. And so David here recognizes that it's the Lord who has worked in his life. It says in the SV, you've given me an open ear, but as the footnote says, the Hebrew says, you have dug ears for me. It's a great image that, isn't it? Like a clay head and the Lord has dug the ears out. What does that mean? It means that by nature our ears are deaf. But it's the Lord who comes and opens them up for us. So that we can hear his word and we can receive that word. So he calls us to himself and we hear his voice and respond. And that is what verses 7 and 8 talk about. David says, behold, I have come. He's talking there about the response to what God has done, that even though the Lord does not require these things, but now he has come to the understanding of them truly, and with his whole heart he can now come to the Lord. And he speaks of the scroll of the book, which is thought to be those first five books of the Old Testament, the law of God. And he sees in there words written, particularly in Deuteronomy 17, I think it is, of commands given to kings 
on how they are to act, how they are to carry out their reign. And he says, it's written of me in this book of the law. And so now I have gone from being someone who had no ears to hear to someone who hears your law, and I delight to do it because your law is within my heart. You see that? Does that make sense to us? That David has gone from being a man who might do the things by rote and by ritual to a man for whom these things are part of his soul. The word has sunk into his ears and into his heart so that his desire now is to do the will of God in the midst of the congregation. And so verses 9 and 10 show us how David has responded to these things that God has done in rescuing him from his trials and from his despair. Once again, we see that it It leads not just to the opening of the ears, does it, but to the opening of the lips. The opening of the mouth. I've told of the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. I've not restrained my lips. I've not hidden your deliverance. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. David has opened his mouth to speak of the glories of God. And in this, friends, is a model for us. Friends, do you speak of the Lord Jesus Christ to your friends and family? Do you speak of the Lord Jesus Christ to one another? Isn't it a great blessing if we can say to each other, the Lord has done this for me this week? Or in response to the great salvation that is ours in Christ, to say to each other, Isn't the Lord gracious that he would save a sinner such as me? Friends, our lips have to be opened. Our lips must speak of the glory of Christ. And as I say those words, the glory of Christ, and as we come to an end, let us remember that David is a shadow of Christ. This psalm, therefore, is a great big signpost to us of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that because we heard from Hebrews 10. For those words in verse 6 to 8 are not just about David. They were David's words given to him by the Holy Spirit. They explain his situation, but ultimately they speak of the Lord Jesus Christ. That these words in verses 6 to 8 were a prophecy of him. That there would come a time when one who would be the true king would come into the world. Who would delight to do the will of God. Not like David, who delighted to do the will of God, but as you go through his history, weren't there times when he stumbled? Weren't there times when he sinned? So these words speak to us of the Lord Jesus Christ, who delighted to do the will of God in all things. Whose heart had that law of God inscribed upon it because he was the author of that law and he lived that law in every respect and there was no sin in him whatsoever and so Jesus Christ came and as Paul tells us in Philippians he humbled himself and was obedient in all things 
He followed the law of God in its entirety and in its perfection, even to death upon the cross. And by that delightful following of the law, this Jesus, this Jesus gave himself up as that spotless sacrifice. I spoke of it this morning, but don't we need to hear the old gospel again and again? Jesus Christ, the spotless Lamb of God, sinless, gave himself for sinners. And he who knew no sin became sin so that you and I, friends, might become the righteousness of God. He delighted to do the will of God even though it took him to the cross. And yes, he struggled with that, didn't he? Think of the garden as he sweat drops of blood in anticipation of this, but he said, your will be done, O God, O Father. He has done this for us. And by going to the cross, what happened to our Lord Jesus Christ? Did he not go to the very pit of destruction? Did he not himself go into that miry pit of death? Was he not laid in the tomb? But he waited patiently for the Lord, as it were. And the Lord raised him to life on the third day. And that message goes out. He gave his apostles that command to go out from here in Jerusalem, go to Samaria, and into the ends of the earth with this that Jesus Christ has died, Jesus Christ is risen, and Jesus Christ is coming again. And don't keep your mouth shut in response to what you have seen and heard in me. And friends, that's why we're here. Because that message has gone out to the ends of the earth. Don't we pray that it would continue to do so? And so, Lord, let us... So, friends... So, friends, let us be patient as we wait for the Lord, that he would act mightily and show his wondrous works in our generation, and that we would delight to do his will, thanking him for the Lord Jesus and all that he has done for us.